Hey, Zevil. Hey, Raygun. You ready to tell some stories? Heck yeah. Coming to you live from the top of the pyramid, this is Memphis, Memphis Mysteries. Mysteries! Hello, and welcome to tonight's episode of Memphis Mysteries. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the contradictions of this city. I want to talk to you about a large city that feels like a small town, a city that's urban, but also rural and wild. I want to talk about idyllic suburbs spoiled by cold-blooded murder. And I want to talk about those wild spaces and what haunts them. Spring, 1985. BFR report number 15003. North Watkins, 5 to 6 miles off of US Highway 51 towards Meme and Shelby Forest in Shelby County, Tennessee. On spring night, 1985, a motorist and his five passengers turned off Highway 51 on North Watkins towards Meme and Shelby Forest State Park. This report was made by one of those passengers. Shelby Forest is a nearly 13,000-acre hardwood bottomland area bordering the Mississippi River on top of the Chickasaw Bluffs, 13 miles north of Memphis. Forest features bald cypress and tupelo swamp, and the bottom lands consist of large oaks, American beech, hickory, and sweet gum. The vehicle traveled some five to six miles, when suddenly something ran across the road in front of the car, just within range of headlights. The driver immediately stopped the vehicle and asked the passengers if they had seen it too. The passenger who reported the story acknowledged that they had seen it. Whatever it was, it was bipedal, covered in black hair, ran with a forward tilt, and it was fast, real fast, fast enough to run across four traffic lanes in a median in a matter of seconds. They had only seen the creature for maybe four seconds, but it was enough to make them reconsider the drive. The driver reversed course and headed back to Highway 51. Stories of a large bipedal creature run deep in the history of West Tennessee. The Chickasaw, the indigenous people who inhabited the bluffs of what is today Memphis and the surrounding Shelby County, have legend of a creature known as the Lofa. In Chickasaw legend, the Lofa is a malevolent, ogre-like creature. Its name literally means flayer or Skinner, a reference to its gruesome habit of flaying the skin from its victims. In some legends, it attempts to abduct Chickasaw women. It is sometimes described as a giant, and other times as a large, hairy, smelly man. Here's a great take on the loafa from YouTube channel, Encountering Bigfoot. Now I'm going to read you a story about this Lofa creature. This clan differs from other clans principally in what its members eat. They seldom go out in the daytime, but roam about at night in search of food. They do not, however, try to steal. They are swift of foot, and when an accident happens to them, they depend on their swiftness to escape. 
They care very little about women, but when they want anything, they generally get it. They think more of their feet than any other parts of their bodies, and their eyes are so keen that they can see anyone before he detects them. When one of them wants a wife, he gets his parents to obtain one. They do not select any kind of woman, but are careful in choosing. The younger always gets a woman first. These generally sleep in the daytime. If they do not have good luck at night, their rest is disturbed, but if they have good luck, they sleep through most of the day. One day, a number of men belonging to this clan went hunting and camped a considerable distance from home. Afterward, they scattered to see what they could find, but remained within call of one another, having made an agreement that if anything happened to one of them, he should shout for help. But one of them ventured farther than he was aware and got a long distance off. Presently, he got tired and sat down to rest. But while he was there, a loafer came up and said, What are you doing here? You are intruding upon my land and had better get up and return to your own place. But the Indian believed himself to be strong enough for any situation, so he sat still without speaking. Presently, the loafer ordered him off again and added, If you do not get up and go away, I will tie you up and carry you to my place. You may do so if you can, the man replied, and upon this the loafer seized him. At first it seemed as if the man were the stronger of the two, and he was able to throw the loafer down. But the latter smelt so bad that it was too much for his antagonist, and the loafer overcame him, hung him up in a tree, and went away. The man hung there all night. And when he did not make his appearance at camp, the other hunters began a search for him. And when they found him, cut the grapevine by which he was fastened so that he fell to the ground. They asked him what had treated him in this manner, but he would not speak and they thought he might have seen a ghost or something of that sort. Some time later, however, he came to himself and related what had happened. Afterwards, though thought he was very fond of hunting and knew that he would be successful. He would not venture out unless someone were there with him. You said it, kid. We don't want to run into that on the Woodland Trail. Be sure to check out Encountering Bigfoot on YouTube. They got some really good stuff out there. And if you're interested in learning more about Native American myth and folklore, visit native-languages.org. A website by Native Languages of the Americas, a small nonprofit dedicated to the survival of Native American languages, particularly through the use of internet technology. It hosts online material about more than 800 indigenous languages of the Western Hemisphere. The Choctaw are another indigenous people who have called the Memphis area home. Evidence of their presence in the area can be found at the C.H. Nash Museum at Chuckalisa, a Mississippian culture archaeological site. The Choctaw are an ancient tribe who have inhabited the American Southeast since prehistoric times, where they were hunters and gatherers who hunted a wide range of animals, including a variety of megafauna, such as bison, mastodons, caribou, and mammoths. They, too, like the Chickasaw, have their own stories of an ogre-like monster the Shampi. In some legends, it attempts to adopt Choctaw women, in others, it is a man-eater, 
It's sometimes described as giant, other times as a large, hairy man. Its more salient feature is its smell. A Shampi's smell is so overpowering that a person cannot bear to be around it, making it difficult to fight. Both the, Chick the Chickasaw legend of the Lofa and the Choctaw legend of the Shampi bear striking similarities to reports of Bigfoot encounters across the United States. Could the Bigfoot legend be more than popular culture and be a living and breathing creature, an indigenous animal well documented by the native people of the American Southeast, going back to the earliest times of human history to today? Reports of a large, hairy, bipedal wild man in Memphis and the Mid-South continued to appear in the 19th century newspapers. The writers specifically made note of the unusually large footprints the creature left. Friday, May 9th, 1851, the Memphis Inquirer. During March last, Mr. Hamilton of Greene County, Arkansas, while hunting with an acquaintance, observed a drove of cattle in a state of apparent alarm evidently pursued by some dreaded enemy, halting for the purpose. They soon discovered as the animals fled by them that they were followed by an animal bearing the unmistakable likeness of humanity. It was of gigantic stature, the body being covered with hair and the head with long locks that fairly enveloped his neck and shoulders. The wild man, for we must so call him, after looking at them deliberately for a short time, turned and ran away with great speed, leaping from 12 to 14 feet at a time. His footprints measured 13 inches each. The singular creature has long been known traditionally in St. Francis Green and Poinsett counties. Arkansas sportsmen and hunters have described him so long as 17 years since. A planter, indeed, saw him very recently, but withheld his information, lest he should not be credited until the account of Mr. Hamilton and his friend placed the existence of the animal beyond Kabul. On Thursday, May 29, 1851, the New Hampshire Patriot State Gazette goes on to quote the Memphis Enquirer story, and adding that a great deal of interest is felt in the matter by the inhabitants of that region, and various conjectures have been ventured in regard to him. The most general entertained idea appears to be that he was a survivor of the earthquake which desolated that region in 1811, thrown helpless upon the wilderness by that disaster. It is probable that the, he grew up in his savage state until he now bears only the outward resemblance of humanity. So well authenticated have now become the accounts of this creature, that an expedition is organizing in Memphis by Colonel Harry C. Cross and Dr. Sullivan to scout for him. May 19, 1853, Cincinnati Enquirer. Another wild man has been found near Memphis, Tennessee. His name is Hugh Dinwiddie. He is from Bourbon County, Kentucky, where he has a wife and children living. He has been running wild in the woods since last fall, and when found, 
was very sad and dejected, though from what cause could not be discovered. A Hugh Dinwiddie does in fact show up in the 1850 U.S. Census as a resident of Bourbon County, Kentucky, and therefore not a, wo a Lofa, Shafe, or Bigfoot. But the article refers to Dinwiddie as another wild man found near Memphis. Who are these other wild men? Are they simply dejected and lonely souls who have strayed too far from human society? Or animals unknown by modern science bearing the same likeness to ourselves? Let's take count. The Choctaw and the Chickasaw both have nearly identical legends of a creature resembling the description of the Sasquatch, a creature most commonly reported in the Pacific Northwest. Yet, the creature in the Southeast possesses striking differences. Its temperament is much more aggressive, and it poses a dangerous threat to humans. Its habitat is not the high-altitude pine forest, but the river bottomlands. Are we dealing with two different Bigfoot groups that have simply differentiated over time as they adapted to their particular environments? Or are we dealing with two different species entirely? Maybe you've seen the West Tennessee Bigfoot, or Alofa, or something you just can't explain. If so, please share your story with us at memphismysteries at gmail.com. Mysteries as far as true crime. Zebel and I both want to use Memphis Mysteries to highlight not only paranormal and cryptoid stories, but we also want to profile unsolved crimes and murders in Memphis. Moreover, we want to profile crime cases that include victims of color. Often the media and even the police do not prioritize or raise the alarm over crimes committed against people of color. On the flip side, when white people are murdered or involved in crime, police and media work tirelessly to solve the crime. We want to use Memphis Mysteries to tell the stories of the victims society has overlooked or given up on. Our first Memphis crime story is about the murder of Nancy Little, a black woman taken before her time and slain a week before the birth of her daughter. In 1989, Nancy Little, 32, lived in South Memphis at Village Woods Apartments. On October 8th, the soon-to-be mother rang up her sister on the telephone. It was a Sunday, and Little was very pregnant, about a week away from her due date. Brandy was the name chosen for the little girl. Typically busy preparing for the baby's arrival or working at the Postal Center on Elvis Presley Boulevard, Little took a moment that evening to talk with sister Jacqueline White. She had also paid a visit to her mother earlier in the day. The Littles are a big family made up of seven siblings and their widowed mother. White said Little had reported feeling ill on the phone and planned to stay in the rest of the night. There are not a lot of details about Little's movements that day, and most of it sounds like your typical Sunday. But whatever happened after Little hung up the phone with her sister is a mystery. The next day, Little is found murdered. To this day, the killer has never been caught. On October 9th, the body of Little and her unborn child are found in her own car, not far from her home. 
Little's 1988 white Honda is discovered barely a mile from her residence on Slate Road west of Hornsby Drive. It's about a four-minute drive in total from her apartment to that location. Slate Road and Hornsby Drive are established residential areas. The quiet streets are lined with large family homes. Large lawns, lush trees, and tidy mailboxes greet you as you walk by. Many of the houses were built in the late 60s and early 70s and have a classic feel to them. The area where Little's body is found and the apartment where she lived at are a part of Whitehaven, a large neighborhood in South Memphis. Whitehaven is most well known for Graceland, the home of Elvis Presley, now turned museum and memorial. But locally, Whitehaven is a tight-knit community that is predominantly black and culturally rich in education, music, and art. It's much more than the ghost of Elvis. Famously, DJ Paul from 3-6 Mafia, Gangsta Boo, Drummer Boy, and Gangsta Pat all hail from Whitehaven. Despite suffering from the negative effects of white flight into the community and then out of the community during the 1950s through 1980s, Whitehaven has continued to thrive today. The neighborhood is home to a number of growing local businesses, entertainment spots, and eateries in addition to its musical chart makers and intellects. Little's body is found face down on the passenger side of the floorboard of her Honda. In 1990, the Commercial Appeal newspaper reported that Shelby County Medical Examiner Dr. Jerry Francisco described Little's body as wedged between the car's bucket seats. This position and her pregnancy caused her to suffocate, said Dr. Francisco. In 2016, Little's brothers, James and Perry Little, offer up an additional $10,000 in addition to a $1,000 offered by Memphis Crime Stoppers for information leading to the capture of their sister's killer. The commercial appeal goes into even more depth about the murder scene, saying in quote that the killer stuffed her in the passenger seat of the car. Her head was on the floorboard, her pregnant stomach on the seat, and her legs jutting back into the back seat. She additionally had a gash on her forehead and bruising around her neck. Memphis cold case detective at the time, Joe Stark, said he was hiding her body in the car while driving so nobody could see her. She didn't drive herself over like that. She was left in the passenger side, keys in the ignition, car in park. Somebody drove her there and left her. The commercial appeal reported in 1990 that Dr. Francisco said her awkward position in pregnancy made her suffocate, killing her and the baby. Little's death was ruled a homicide because there is no way she could have gotten herself to that position on her own without some kind of force involved. The death of an unborn baby at this time in Tennessee was not considered a homicide. There is no sign of a struggle in her apartment, leading family members to believe the murderer is someone Little personally knew. Memphis police have never revealed any suspect names, but they detained a man for more than 72 hours, but released him because they said there was nothing to hold him on. The 2016 Commercial Appeal article says that this man that was detained is none other than Little's boyfriend at the time of her death. The unnamed boyfriend fathered her unborn child and was married with children to another woman. The article quotes Detective Stark as saying the boyfriend had even more motive. 
According to Stark, Little was about to take her boyfriend to juvenile court to, quote, get money from him. The boyfriend was never formally accused and has no serious criminal record. Stark claims the location where Little's body was found has connections to her boyfriend at the time. The 2016 Commercial Appeal article states that police found blood droplets at the scene of the crime. They believe the blood came from Little. Additionally, DNA was pulled from a steering wheel of the car. Forensic DNA testing was still in its infancy in 1988, but today Stark said in the article, that DNA with modern forensic testing could hopefully give the grieving family some kind of answer. To this day, no one has been arrested for Nancy Little and her unborn baby's murder. The Commercial Appeals 2016 article quotes James Little as saying, I'm hopeful the killer, that's what I refer to him as, has become relaxed and said something, or someone saw something that can incriminate him. To this day, Nancy Little's death remains a Memphis mystery. information about Nancy Little or her death, please contact the appropriate authorities. Please do not contact any of the family members or friends involved with this case. They have suffered so much already, we do not want to add to their suffering. If you have theories, ideas, or speculations about Nancy Little and her death, please share them with Memphis Mysteries at memphismysteries at gmail.com. We would love to talk and see what info we can pull together to bring any light to this grave injustice. Like our hero Robert Stack from Unsolved Mysteries says, perhaps you may be able to help solve a mystery.